Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm the Compliance Evangelist. I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, Episode 72, a special live at the SCCP edition. In this episode, Jay Rosen and I are joined by Louis Sapperman, Chief Compliance Officer at Dun & Bradstreet. We visit about why we have come to the 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute, what we hope to garner and achieve this week at the largest gathering of compliance professionals, giving back to the profession, why attending conferences can be so beneficial to you, and we conclude with some some remarks about Harvey Weinstein and the continued fallout and how sexual harassment is now a compliance issue. It's a little bit different as we went live with this one. I hope you joined us on Facebook. If not, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. This is Tom Fox. This Week in FCPA is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Uh, This Week in FCPA, posting live on Facebook. To my immediate left, Mr. Monitors, Jay Rosen, Louis Saberman, a little bit further down, the Chief Compliance Officer at Dun & Bradstreet. We are coming to you live from the first day pre-conference of the SCCE 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute. So, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. So, as we're live on Facebook, hopefully we'll uh, see some questions, information, or others. So that reminds me, I knew I had a reason for another computer. So, uh, but what we're going to start with, guys, is... What I want to know is why did you come to this conference? You both attended uh, many times before. I've attended many times before. What keeps bringing <clears throat> bringing you back and back? So, Lewis, you want to shoot? So, um, last night, uh, Samantha Kellen and I got together some of our orphan friends who were in early, and we had dinner. And I, I think one of the participants put it best that people keep coming back to the SCCE CEI because it feels like family. And there's lots of people in the organizations that we work with that really are not so invested in ethics and compliance. And we can sit down over a beverage or over a cup of coffee or over dinner and really find not only somebody who gets what we're talking about, but they uh, more often than not seem to be more interested in ethics and compliance than my wife and nine-year-old twins. So uh, I think that's one of my reasons for coming back. So it doesn't look like we're upright. Hmm. Oh, well. Can you see us now? Can you see us now? <laughs> we can fix that. So take a look at that and see how we're doing, Jimmy. Okay. So how about you, Lewis? Uh, so, so for me, this conference... Hasn't turned it. Keep going, sorry. This, this conference really is... Um, it's all about uh, meeting with the largest number of people in the profession and putting what we talk about all the time into action in a way that yes no uh, yeah that it's almost impossible for us to do on a regular basis so we are all in our day jobs we are at our companies uh, in our uh, consulting practices whatever whatever it happens to be People are writing really great ideas. People are talking about great ideas. People are even podcasting great ideas. But here, you actually get to see those ideas take root. Such a large group of people coming together in one place, and the compliance profession, although we certainly like to think of ourselves as well-established in some ways, we're very much in our infancy in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. 
And the more opportunity we can have for bringing the new people in compliance uh, into the conversation and really building upon the ideas that, uh, that some, of the, some of the forward thinkers in compliance have, uh, the better. And that happens at, at CEI as much as at almost any other experience I've been to uh, throughout, the, throughout the years uh, in compliance that I've had. What say you, Mr. Fox? Actually, before we get to that, Lewis, you talked a little bit earlier at lunch about one other reason, and, and you articulated it as giving back. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, I think for, for the people who are established in the profession, CEI brings together the largest group of people who are new to the profession that you'll ever find. And so people who are established in the profession and want an opportunity to impart to the new generation of compliance professionals the, the best ideas, the things that have worked well for them, and really want an opportunity to start mentoring and having an impact on the future of compliance, I think that's CEI gives us that opportunity in a way that you don't normally get at most other places. And it, it really comes down to there's just so many people that are, that are here to suck up as much compliance knowledge as possible. And so the, the people who have lived it and who've been there, uh, for them to show up at an event like this and really be there to, uh, to provide that knowledge to that next generation of compliance professional, it's incumbent upon us. I think it's part of the giving back that you just talked about, Tom, uh, we have all gotten a lot from this profession. And uh, this is one way to uh, pay it forward a bit. So for me, it's actually uh, learning. Because uh, as, as much as I may have studied, as much as I, may, as I may have been in this profession, as much as I may read and research, I find that coming to this uh, event and sitting and listening to people with different ideas, different perspectives, different backgrounds, I always learn something new, and I'll give you two examples just from our sessions this morning. Uh, both of us did uh, speed networking, and then Lewis and I, all three of us did speed networking. Lewis and I did speed mentoring. And in the uh, after uh, lunch in the mentoring session, we were talking with a woman who was actually born in mainland China. And we were talking about, uh, she was talking about, we were listening, <clears throat> how she was raised and the values her parents instilled in her. And it was a completely different culture than the way any of the three of us was raised. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it, not, not in many ways, it, today it informs her work as a compliance officer. And I had not thought about, and, and the way she described it is from age one, I was taught to be a military person. And it was not kill military, it was the ethos of duty or honor, loyalty, and country. And so that that really helped her uh, inform uh, her going forward uh, in compliance. Uh, the second thing was uh, I was uh, in the speed networking, uh, excuse me, in speed mentoring. A woman was is a current uh, Department of Justice official looking to go into the private sector after a number of years at the DOJ. And we talked touched on a topic we're going to talk about later, which was the uh, Harvey Weinstein issue. And I said something, and uh, she just looked at me as if I was, uh, let's just say, not very aware, and said, yeah, I think. 
And as I sat there and thought about it, I realized that the response I had given her, of course, led to that reaction, but that her reaction was actually something that it was important uh, to articulate out to the compliance profession because it was, she spoke as a prosecutor, she spoke as a female, she spoke as a minority. And she brought all of that experience to that, you think, and it really showed me the difference in the way that I, as a male, as a white male, as a someone who'd been on the civil side of things all my life, thought about it. And so when, when I can get and garner those different types of backgrounds and experiences, uh, I get so much out of it. And I just, uh, I can't really uh, express enough the um, utter joy I feel at just being around this many compliance professionals focused on this topic for just a few num- few days, and here we are. Uh, not even the conference in chief has started yet. So, so any other observations you guys have had so far? This is a big venue. I, I was on I was on the phone with with my wife, and I said I'm going to get in more than enough steps uh, during during this conference. There's. Uh, there's there's a lot of places to 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 roam and walk around uh, around Caesar's Palace, but but what it, what I was really thinking about when I was saying it's it's a big venue is this conference uh, gets bigger and bigger every every time we we come and uh, uh, it's just so fascinating to see such a large group of compliance professionals coming together in one place at one time and. Uh, not to put uh, too emotional a point on it, uh, the fact that we are coming together here in Las Vegas so shortly after such a, a horrendous act occurred in Las Vegas, um, it's, it is the right place to be for, for a profession like ours. Um, uh, so we're here at the right time, I think. What about you? Any uh, initial thoughts, Jay? Well, I tried something uh, new this uh, morning and this early afternoon. They're trying something that's a skills-based track. So instead of, you know, how you do an investigation or how you write a code of conduct, these are different professionals within the field. Uh, Christy Grant-Hart, Samantha Kellen, uh, Kyle Zamchak, and they all came in and they spoke about different things. So about how to actually uh, communicate with your either superiors or people who work under you and how you might have an idea and you want to communicate that, but sometimes there's distortion in between. So she talked about ethos and pathos and logos, and uh, no, they're not just Greek islands, or they sound like Greek islands, but really if you need to um, get a message across, it's almost like that you've got to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And the example was, you know, hey, Tom, you've been coming in late the past few weeks, and it'd be really helpful if you could come in on time because the things that we're discussing that deal with your job, we hit early in the morning. So you might hear that message as, oh, wow, I'm kind of screwing up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not coming in on time. So the question is, is she talked about either inductive or deductive reasoning. So I think sometimes we have the right message, but we don't think about how we get that message out. And so I'm kind of want to use the, the framework that these different 
uh, educators and professionals provided to try to take a look at how we're putting messages out from this venue and how do we go the right way to actually say things that are positive, that are productive, and can be used. Lewis, one thing I wanted to ask, if you could show your name tag and the, actually the bottom uh, badge uh, at, at the very bottom, this one, and yeah. what it says and why, why you put it on there and why you think that, that concept's important at this conference. So I, I will say, as much as any conference, um, the uh, SCCE gives you lots and lots of little flags to put on the bottoms of your, uh, uh, of your name badges. But I saw this one, and it just jumped right out at me. It says, don't be shy, say hi. And I find uh, and have found at some conferences that especially if you're a speaker, if you are somebody who is, is well-established, then uh, your average participant might shy away from, from jumping into a conversation. And CEI is exactly the kind of place where I would hate for that to ever be a barrier. I would hate for somebody to think um, that they don't want to talk to me because they saw me speak on stage or something like that. And because, gosh, the, that's some of the most valuable conversations I have are just those hallway conversations where somebody comes up and introduces themselves mm -hmm. and, uh, and gives me a, uh, a taste of, of what they're dealing with in their daily lives. And so don't, shy, don't, don't be shy, say hi. To, to me, it jumped out as this is exactly the way I would love it if everybody at this conference operates. Right. And, and I think there's a way that that continues onward virtually. There's I'm sure lots of people who link in with you or say, you know, I'm going to be at this conference and you actually, there's, there's got to be a hundred people I know in Brazil through LinkedIn. And the only time I ever get to meet them is if they come to a conference. So it's, um, you know, one of the other things they talked about is that in the um, speed networking, and they probably said this in the mentoring too, is that it doesn't stop after that first hour. So if you take that connection and you might not have a, um, you know, a business to business or a benchmarking relationship. But if there are people that you want to develop those relationships with, it's very easy to maintain on LinkedIn and through social media. And that has, I think, um, you know, brought a lot of different people to our attention over the years that we've been able to uh, feature on the podcast. That's, that's very true as well. Lewis, uh, are there any specific sessions or topics you hope to garner some, some new or additional information on uh, this week? It was funny. I, I spent probably about an hour on uh, last last Thursday reading through the uh, uh, the entire agenda, and I found so many of the uh, topics that were both timely and interesting. I know I had already signed up for a bunch, and my assistant had asked Louis, "Do you want to do you want me to re-sign you up? Sign you up for different things?" And I read through it and I thought to myself, no, I actually don't. I don't want to sign up for anything. I want this conference to come to me. And I'm actually going to focus a lot more on um, some of the people that I meet. And if I hear that they're interested in it, I might just follow people around a bit and go to interesting topics that push me away from the common topics that I would I would always go to. I, I'm always going to, to jump into social media topics. I'm going to dump, jump into 
culture and, uh, and culture change uh, related topics. FCPA, those, those are things that I, I am going to do all the time at every conference. And I think because of the uh, depth and breadth of interesting uh, topics that exist out there, to me, I'm going to let this one come to, come to me a little bit and, uh, and really uh, try out some new things uh, that I might not have otherwise. So, uh, How about the same thing to you? So what I want to do is I want to have the chance to uh, meet some folks that I don't typically get to talk to uh, for very long and sit down and have a cup of coffee with them, see what they're doing, <laughs> see what uh, things that uh, we might have in common that we could work on. So I'm going to meet with Mark Havner, for instance, and we're going to talk about storytelling, mm -hmm. storytelling and compliance. Um, going to talk to some other people. <clears throat> the other thing is, uh, and I'm going to ask uh, uh, you the next question, follow up on this, Lewis, but I'm always intrigued now with the vendors, and many are focusing their annual marketing efforts at this conference. So they'll release a, a new product or a new service line and uh, try to create some buzz. And um, so I'm going to really use that, use this uh, event to try to uh, see what's coming, see what the marketplace is going to have, see who's moved, see who's uh, got something new or different. Lots of folks have um, surveys and reports, white papers they'll put out around this conference to try to create some buzz. So I'm going to try to do that. And what I wanted to ask you, Lewis, is as a consumer of compliance-related services and products, how do you use the vendor room, the vendors? And then, Jay, I'm going to ask you as a vendor type about kind of the vendor experience, but how do you utilize that part of this conference? Um, very strategically, I would say, is, is my answer. I actually have come to the conference with two things in mind in particular about my vendors that I want to see uh, what is coming in the marketplace, what new is out there, uh, what new vendors are thinking about. And uh, I'm going to spend time in that vendor room grilling the people who have come with products that may or may not meet my, my two needs that I'm looking for. Can, can you stop a minute? We need to tell Jay his daughters love him. <laughs> hi, Millie and Michaela. Hi, Rebecca. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks okay. for watching. <laughs> okay. So uh, it, it's, inter it, it's interesting. Over, over the last two weeks, I have received a ridiculous number of requests from vendors saying, come to our cocktail hour, come to a dinner that they're hosting. Uh, I think one of them invited me to a show. I ignore all. Uh, for lots of reasons, but I, I tend to be the person that I, I, I just don't accept uh, uh, entertainment from my vendors uh, easily. It's just not something that I do. But that doesn't mean that I am not going to be very zealous in using my time with potential vendors because they are displaying some new, uh, new wares. I think the compliance field moves and should move very quickly, be forward-leaning, and very modern in the way we approach how we do compliance. And if you aren't using vendors who are thinking as much in the future as you are as a CCO, 
I think you're missing an opportunity. So I'm hoping that we'll find uh, find a couple of vendors who are doing some cool and interesting things. So Jay, how does a vendor use an event like this? Well, first of all, I just want to be complimentary to um, the SCCE that we do a lot of conferences and they really believe that the solutions are going to come for the vendors. And in a little bit, we're going to be going to the opening tailgate party. That's why I'm dressed up in Patriots regalia. Oh, that's horse hockey. Yes. He wears that all the time anyway. No, no, I don't believe Michaela. Sometimes we're the Red Sox. And to be very, to be very clear, I was asked to do this podcast before I knew Jay would be wearing a Patriots <laughs> jersey. I'm not sure I would have said yes otherwise. But there that's you okay. go. There so anyhow, um, SCCE and I think Lewis and Tom have said it too, is we really believe that the solutions are going to come for the vendors. So it's not, a, it's not a, about placing them in a quarter where nobody's going to come by them. But I think a lot of people engage. A lot of people are looking for next generation ideas. Um, in terms of what I and my colleagues from Affiliated Monitors are going to do is we really want to take the opportunity to talk to the people in the ethics and compliance field and, um, you know, number one, kind of gauge what they think about monitoring and corporate monitoring, if that's something that they've ever had a chance to, um, you know, be involved with with their specific companies. But more importantly, at AMI, we see it as a very proactive exercise. And with questions now happening about the amount of, um, you know, federal enforcement that's happening in the FCPA space, that we're thinking that with the indecision out there in the marketplace, that it could behoove some companies to be proactive to do what is known as a self-assessment monitorship. And then if they find anything, or if they're in a position with the government, they can really show tangible results and saying, look, we took it upon ourselves to do a self-assessment. These are the remediation efforts that we've put forth, and we feel that that could be a positive move going forward under any type of uh, negotiated settlement that they may have with the government. So I was uh, in my speed mentoring uh, with a, a woman today, and she said, look, everything's going great. Uh, financially, the company's doing very well. We're getting a, the resources we want in compliance. We feel like we're putting in place what we want in compliance uh, with the approval of senior management. What can or should I be doing? I said, that's great you have all that stuff, but now is the time to prepare for the disaster. Uh, and once again, we talked about Weinstein, but it doesn't matter whatever the current uh, reputational disaster is. You know, check your um, investigation protocol. Test your hotline. Uh, do you have everybody's phone number if you have a, a true crisis and emergency? Have you talked to your outside counsel? Do you have them ready to go? Who are they going to use for forensic audit, for uh, uh, IT uh, uh, expertise work? Uh, go through all of your emergency notification protocols. Uh, do you have a disaster plan in place? As you might guess, being from Houston, I'm thinking a lot about disaster planning these days. Uh, you've got the time now. And if, the, you know, heaven forbid something would happen uh, and the regulators come knocking saying, why did this happen? How did you let this happen? You say, this is how, this is the plan we were under. This was our risk. We assessed our risk. We were remediating our risk per our risk assessment program, and we were proactively doing these other things. And did something happen? Yes. 
But we, we had a well-thought-out plan in place. We were executing on that plan. We had senior management buy-in on that plan. And we took the time when things were going well to test, 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 and make sure that if and when a true emergency or, heaven forbid, a disaster happened, that we could actually respond to that. So that if you're in the situation where things are going well and you don't appear to have something on the horizon, uh, take this time to, to test, test, pressure test your system. Pressure test uh, your hotline. Pressure test your investigation protocol. Pressure test your um, HR and compliance relationship. Do a variety of things internally. Uh, you can do that at relatively low cost. Hopefully, you won't have to bring in uh, outside resources so that you can source it internally. Uh, yet, uh, it will give you another level of protection to utilize. It, it's funny that in, in the speed mentoring, I had a couple of conversations that were very similar to that, actually. Uh, a couple of people came in with questions about how they uh, how they expand their footprint in the business and uh, how to ensure that the compliance message is getting out. Uh, I spoke a, I spoke a bit with a couple of folks about the tone in the organization. I actually am not a huge fan of the term tone at the top. I think it it actually is overused and and not well understood, but. What I was trying to get to was how well can you make the case to your regulators that the leadership in your organization are supportive of and assisting the compliance tone. The reality is that it's one thing to say well, our senior leadership gives us all the resources. It's nice. It's nice to have resources. But I actually don't want resources. I want them. I want their voices. I want their role modeling behavior. As much or more so, more so than them just saying, yes, I'll give the compliance team a bunch of money. Can you talk about the Twitter example you shared with me earlier? Yeah, ab absolutely. So I sent out a tweet. Uh, shortly after the speed uh, mentoring. And I spoke about how great it was to be a part of the speed mentoring and uh, to learn from and give back to some of the, the people who were up and coming in the profession. And I tweeted it at SC, uh, uh, hashtag SCCECEI, at SCCE. Roy, the CEO, he retweeted it. Several other people who are here in Las Vegas liked it and retweeted it. But to me, when my CEO liked it, that actually meant a lot more. Because it says to me, Bob, who's, my, who's the CEO of Dun & Bradstreet, he wants us to be forward-leaning and a part of the ethics and compliance discussion. That's invaluable, as far as I'm concerned. And the more you can get your senior leadership to be a part of that discussion and a part of that voice, that doesn't take money. That takes relationship and making sure that your senior leaders know why, why you're there and why they're there. And uh, I think that, that that is a real big part of sort of getting ready for the disaster that comes. Because bad things happen in every organization. No two ways about it. But when that bad thing happens, how clear is it 
that your organization was really trying to do it right. There's a lot you can do to get there. So, Lewis, the name of this podcast is This Week in FCPA, and Jay and I typically go over some compliance and ethics-related events. Uh, so I wanted to conclude with one This Week topic, uh, and it is the Harvey Weinstein case. And I woke up Friday morning, and I, I think I had a revelation that probably 98% of most compliance professionals did, which is, you know, sexual harassment is a compliance issue now. Actually, it always was. But now uh, I recognize that, and I think everyone else does. Um, but I want to take it in, in, for, in a couple of different ways, perhaps, that why it made me realize it's a compliance issue. Two things about it struck me. The first one was that everybody knew. Uh, what, uh, and I don't mean to fall upon the well-worn phrase of the casting couch in Hollywood, but everyone knew. The industry knew, within the organization they knew, certainly the board of directors knew because they had to approve the settlements that were uh, given to the women. And what it made me realize is in the industries I've worked, everybody knew. And in the energy industry, we used to call them the players. That meant the wolves. And then the people who... Uh, if not engaged in bribery and corruption, certainly engaged in shady business practices, they were called sharp operators. But everybody knew who they were, and everybody dealt with them. But you dealt with them by, oh, they're just that way. You know, that's just the way things are. So if really everyone knows, um, have we reached out, has this case taken us to an inflection point where it's not simply the woman who is harassed, or as we found out in the case of Amazon, the man, who's harassed, touched inappropriately, or even criminal, uh, criminal actions taken, uh, their responsibility to speak up. Is it now the responsibility of, of me as someone who knows? Me as someone who sees something, who is not directly harassed, who is not directly you know, um, uh, sexually harassed? Is it now the responsibility of the person who knows? And um, is that... That would be a huge change in culture, literally across this country. And is, uh, is that a fair point to draw at this time? Or what were, were your collective thoughts as it might relate to compliance? And I know, Lewis, you uh, have a professional background as an employment lawyer, so um, I think that may inform some of, some of your thoughts. And, Jay, I know you were in that industry uh, for some period of time, so that may inform some of, of your thoughts as well. But what were your impressions? Because I think, in addition, in addition to this, to the horrific nature of what we've seen, and it's it's not in a vacuum. You know, we had uh, Roger Ailes, we had Bill Cosby, we've had a series of of these types of events, and have we reached really a, a point that th that Weinstein will change things? So, you want to lead us off, Lewis? I hope so. I certainly hope that industries and companies uh, will take the Weinstein case and many others that have occurred uh, in, in the recent past and understand that the ideal of a compliant culture, an ethical culture, is one where people do not take the status quo for granted. People are willing to look and say, this doesn't feel right to me. 
We often hear the term a speak-up culture. And what is, in fact, a speak-up culture? A speak-up culture is where you have people within your organization who see things happening, and for whatever reason, they don't understand why certain things are happening. Maybe they think they're bad, maybe they think they're illegal, improper, unethical, or frankly, they just don't understand. A speak-up culture is one where everybody in the organization says, we love it when you ask the question, why is this happening? It goes beyond don't retaliate against people. It's when your organization, the first two words that come to your organization's lips when somebody asks a question is thank you. Thank you for asking that question. Because we're only a better organization when everybody has their questions answered. To me, you can think about culture in many ways. I often think about culture from a macro perspective and a micro perspective. Macro culture is what is the general culture of your organization, your senior leaders, how do they speak, what do they talk about? From a micro perspective, when you're talking about groups of 5, 10, 15 people, how likely are they to ask questions about what's happening in that small part of the organization? And I think when you think about compliance culture, you have, to, you have to deal with both. You have to make sure that you're building the best macro culture while also giving people the empowerment to have a strong micro culture and being able to ask questions and bring up the hard stuff. A situation where everybody knew what was happening. Well, that's great. But what happened to the person who just joined the organization? Did they feel so threatened when they joined that they couldn't speak up and ask the question, why is this happening? I will say that the ideal of compliance, I think, would push us to build cultures where everybody feels that kind of empowerment. And uh, I think the Weinstein case as well as many others, we, we have no, uh, no shortage of great examples. And I think that every company should be use, using those examples and the examples that they experience themselves, most importantly, to say, you know what? We want our culture to show integrity first. The only way you get there is by letting your people speak up when they need to. So I think that uh, I think there's a lot to do. Okay. Well, I think that's a very hopeful outlook. Um, I, I might be a little bit uh, less hopeful. Uh, I, I've been in the, in addition to the entertainment industry, I've been in the investment banking business. I've been in language solutions. And I've seen a lot of large organizations. And whatever Tom and where they called them, what would you say? The, the players. The players or the sharps. Um, there was a situation where there was a sales manager who had different women in different cities where he would have a relationship with. And it was known very well in this company that if you wanted to rise up, that would be the way to do it. So 
I don't think we're we're at the end. I, I think that we've 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 got an example now to follow, and I think it'll be very interesting to see if people do feel the courage to speak up. But I, I think we have issues on gender inequality, race inequality, and it's very it's a very interesting time for us as members of this experiment in democracy. And I think how we react to these things are going to really set this future up for our, our children and our grandchildren. So I, I am hopeful, but I, I still think that it's it's not just these isolated industries. I think anytime there's a lot of money, anytime there's a lot of prestige, someone has power, and then power can lead to harassment. So the other thought I had was the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill situation back, uh, I think, in... Uh, 1980? Uh, no, it was uh, 89, maybe 90, because it was under the Bush Bush okay. line. And I remember, actually, I can't I can't explain why, but I watched that, her testimony, Anita Hill's testimony with my mother. Uh, and my mother, obviously, uh, are now in her 80s, uh, and her reaction was, that's it? That's all she had to put up with? And what I garnered from that was my mother had grown up in a generation, really the first after the war, to go into the workforce as professionals, and that's just what women had to put up with. And you were going to be harassed, you were going to be touched, you were going to be propositioned, and it's just you, that was your responsibility to deal with it. And now some 27 years later, I think, I thought Anita Hill, that was an inflection point that started a conversation, and I really feel like we're at a, at a point now where just the three of us having this conversation. And I think they're going to hear before, here at the SCCE, there's going to be a lot more conversations. I think, uh, I hope that they will move forward. But um, I'm beginning to wonder that our board's going to see this as, if we don't change our culture, I mean, Weinstein may go into receivership, uh, go bankrupt within, you know, literally days. And if a board of directors says, you know, if we can go bankrupt in days because our CEO sexually harassed people, you know, we need to fix this. We need to, we need to do something different. I'm really curious. Uh, I haven't done a poll about this. But I'm curious how many compliance teams in corporate, in corporate America are actually focused on this as a compliance issue. I think a lot of companies look at uh, sexual harassment and things that really are, uh, uh, that rose under employment law, they see them as HR issues. Right. And actually divorce them from compliance in many respects. I don't see any distinction. I never have. And I think a lot of it does come from the fact that I grew up as an employment lawyer. In fact, for Dun & Bradstreet, before I was chief compliance officer, I was head of employment law. So I've never seen the distinction between compliance and employment-related uh, issues. I think they all go directly to culture, and uh, they have just as much legal implication uh, as anything, an FCPA issue, a sexual harassment issue. And so I, I can't imagine having a situation where the investigative function, the fact-finding function at a company is not consistently handling those issues, that the uh, disciplinary uh, function within your organization is not handling those issues in a consistent manner. But I'm curious 
whether everybody's there yet. I, I'm, I'm venturing to guess this could be the kind of inflection that might push folks uh, a little bit towards, uh, towards that goal. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, uh, we're at the end. So <clears throat> any uh, closing thoughts, final thoughts? Uh, it's going to be completely overcovered by Go Astros, but within the parameters and umbrella of Go Astros World Series, uh, any final thoughts? I think it's uh, we just all share the enthusiasm of uh, coming together here with our colleagues, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning. And uh, you know, if it's anti-Yankees, it's go <laughs> Astros. So sorry, Mets or Yanks. I, I'm a Mets fan. All right, go Astros. I, I am. I am in fact the the kid in New York City who wore. The I root for two teams. I root for the Mets and whoever's playing the Yankees t-shirt. Um, not that I don't like the Yankees. And actually, I think the Yankees have a very likable team right now. Uh, and uh, lots of great young talent. They're fun to watch. But I am also rooting for the Astros. I, 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 think, I think rooting for a team that's never won the World Series before is, uh, is, a, is a great thing. And so uh, from, from my standpoint... It's going to be a great few days. Looking forward to, to all of the interactions. And, uh, and if the Astros uh, can put away the Yankees in the next few days, too, that would just be uh, icing on the cake. Well, for me, it was doing and trying some new things. So this was the first one. We've uh, never done a live podcast and uh, certainly not Facebook Live. So, Jay, from Jay and I, thank you, Lewis. And to Jay, thanks for... Uh, showing up uh, in your colors, as they might say. And I'm really looking forward for the next few days and see what develops. So, gentlemen, thank you. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this first live recording of This Week in FCPA. I really hope you were able to join us on Facebook. If not, I hope you enjoyed this podcast recording of This Week in FCPA, the SCCE Conference, excuse me, Compliance and Ethics Institute Conference Edition. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only weekly wrap-up of all things FCPA compliance related. Finally, you can reach me at Tom Fox, tfox at tfoxlaw.com, Jay Rosen at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening. and I hope you will join us this coming Friday for another regularly scheduled episode of This Week in FCPA, a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.